Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts. And remember, this is the story of the outpouring of God's Spirit upon his church. It's the story of the continuing work of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit through the apostles. We've seen the growth of the church and yet the growing problems, persecution from outside and sin within. So we return in Acts chapter 5 to the conflict with the religious leaders, with the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, who has authority. And so listen as I read the Word of God, Acts chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading at verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving in the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. 
This is God's word spoken for us. Let's pray that God would apply by the power of his spirit, his word to our lives. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give clarity as we listen to your word today. Father, that you would teach us the truth of the gospel, that we would see in this true account the work of your spirit. Lord, I pray, though, that it would mean not merely historical recordings to us, but that your spirit would be active and present today. Lord, for those who have doubts, let them find assurance in your word. For those who have fears, let them find peace. Lord, for those of us who hesitate to announce good news, give us boldness. Lord, we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. A public arrest should quiet them down, ruin their reputation. In April 1963, 50 civil rights leaders were arrested for leading a demonstration against the brutal racist treatment of black Americans in Birmingham, Alabama. Their crime? Gathering without an official permit. A permit that had been denied to them, a permit who that had even laws had been wrongly changed to prevent them from gathering. And so in response, local Christian and Jewish religious leaders published an open letter in the newspaper condemning the demonstrators. Writing on scraps of paper in his jail cell, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. composed a reply. Those who had objected to the demonstrations had not issued an objection to the underlying harsh treatment and racist behaviors. And so the Reverend King replied, when asked to wait, when told by those religious leaders in town, just wait, just be patient, Dr. King replied, he said, I guess it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. He quoted the famous line, justice too long delayed is justice denied. He shouted the words of the prophet Amos, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. He urged believers, black and white, to join in the cause of justice. And his famous letter from the Birmingham jail, which should be required reading of all school children and adults as well, reaches its climax when he says, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. King's arrest was meant to silence him, but it strengthened his resolve. It amplified his voice. A public arrest to silence an enemy. Yet the injustice amplifies the voice that they were trying to silence. And Acts chapter 5 takes us back to the chaos of chapter 4. Peter and John, having been arrested for healing a man, are threatened, their lives at risk. They're told to keep their mouth shut, and they're released. And yet in their boldness, they continue to preach. The religious leaders publicly arrest the apostles in an attempt to silence them, to foil their message. Brutal and violent punishment to end their ministry. But instead, it amplifies their voice and strengthens their resolve. Look back with me at Acts chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. 
The high priests, the associates of the high priests, they are members of the ruling party of the Sadducees. They're gathered together, and they, they recognize that there's this rising tide of the church, and so they are filled with jealousy, verse 17 tells us. And so they, verse 18, arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. The arrest was done publicly to make a public point. The description there of public jail isn't just a description of who gets put in the jail, people from the public. It's the fact that the jail is made public, that their arrest is publicized to silence them. And yet Acts chapter 5 shows us the provision of God and the response of the apostles. And so let's, let's look at how God provides for them. Look back at verse 19. They've been arrested and thrown in this public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. I mean, that's a matter-of-fact statement about a miraculous event. Oh, you want to throw them in jail? God says, I'll just send an angel in the night to let them out. You want to silence them? You can't. You can't stop the gospel message because God provides for his people. There's a rescue directly from God. And then it comes with the command. Look at verse 20. The angel says, Go, stand in the temple courts, and tell the people the full message of this new life. The provision of God, the rescue of God, with the command of God to go and announce good news. And so the apostles, hearing this message, this full message of new life, they, the, the religious leaders want to keep them quiet. They want to silence them. And yet the angel says, no, 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 the whole message is going to be taught. Nothing is going to be taken away. It won't be watered down. It won't be weakened. Preach the full message. And what is the full message? It's of new life. Those who were dead in their sins have been made alive in the gospel. Because Jesus died in the place of sinners and God raised him from the dead, you and I are given new life. Do you have this gift? Have you received this new life? And that's a question that we should ask ourselves whether this is the first Sunday we've walked into a church or listened to the preaching of God's Word, or we've been going our entire lives. Is this message true? Do you believe it? Do you have this gift of new life? And so we see God's clear provision here. And we see then the response of the apostles, the apostles' commitment. The apostles, freed from jail, told to go and preach. And what is, what's their response? Well, you know, well, let's form a committee, and let's sort of decide how do we get ourselves in trouble the first time, and let's figure out ways to avoid that, and let's, let's make sure, you know, which parts of this message have been most offensive to the religious leaders. Maybe we could say it a different way so that, they won't, that we, they, we won't hurt their feelings this time. No. They were given the command to preach the whole message, the full message, to not change it at all, to not water it down, to not weaken it. And so what do they do? Verse 21, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts. Now, I think I would have at least gone home, taken a nap. I mean, you were woken in the middle of the night by an angel. I think you've got an excuse to sleep in the next morning, don't you? I mean, kids, that's, that's a great excuse to, to not have your work finished the next morning. I mean, you won't believe it. An angel of the Lord came in the middle of the night. That's why, that's why I'm so tired today. No, what did the apostles do? At daybreak, as soon as the temple courts, which are closed at night, as soon as the sun rises and the courts are opened, the, the apostles begin to preach and to teach the message again. 
as they had been told. They heard the command, and verse 21 says, they obeyed the command just as they had been told. And so it's not a surprise then when they're arrested again. Although you almost see the, 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 the humor in the unfolding events. The religious leaders now, they've taken the night to meet in committees to sort of plan and plot, and so they go to bring the apostles in, expecting to find them in the jail, but they're not there. I mean, the guards are still at the doors. The doors remain locked. It was a miraculous escape, and so they don't even know where to find them. And if the apostles had just kept their mouths shut and disappeared, they would be long gone, off to safety. Because where are the apostles found? Well, somebody comes running in verse 25 to tell us, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the, temp in the temple courts teaching the people. You wanted them kept away from the public, but you wanted it publicly acknowledged. You wanted them disgraced, but what has God done? He's freed them and sent them back out into the public with the message. And so they're arrested again. But this time, verse 26, there's no struggle. Why? Verse 26 tells us that the captain and his officers, this military force going to arrest the apostles, does so without force because they feared the people would stone them. They see the work of the gospel. They see how the crowds are responding. And so they say, well, well we, need to, we need to do this gently. The apostles merely could have just resisted. They could have just raised the crowd and said, look at this injustice taking place, but the apostles are willing to go along, willing to, to take the gospel message back into the Sanhedrin, the same group that had already arrested them, the same group that had falsely accused Jesus of blasphemy and sent him to his death. And so the apostles go. And as soon as you put a, a, a microphone in front of an apostle, what do they do? They start preaching because they're, they're told, you, we told you, verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And as soon as the microphone then is put in front of Peter, what does he do? He first defends himself and says in bold words in verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. Now, it's the same thing that they had said back in chapter 4. And we look then that, that to us as Americans, if you've grown up in this country, then it sort of rises something, something patriotic within you. That's right. You can't tell me what to do. But that's not what they say. They don't say, nobody can tell me what to do. What do they say? We must obey God. We must obey God even in this moment when we know the most likely outcome of what happens here today is our own deaths. We have been told to stop. We have refused. We've been warned again. We have refused. We know what they will do. We just saw it a couple of months ago with Jesus. And so they say we must obey God rather than men. But then Peter, he can't stop there. He can't just stop with his own defense. He has to launch into the story of Jesus, the good news of the gospel. This is what Jesus has done for us. He says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, it's almost as if he starts with the resurrection, this, this teaching which is central to Christianity, which the Apostle Paul will later say is of first importance, because he wants to make sure if they cut him off at any point, he has at least gotten to the, the central message. 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. It's the language of shame taken from the book of Deuteronomy, describing the cross as a tree. The body of Jesus hanged. And yet that's the story of Christianity, that the Savior, Jesus himself, took upon himself my shame, your shame, in his death on the cross. He bore my guilt in his death. I mean, Peter is pointing to the religious leaders and saying, you are guilty. They had said, you, they, they had said back in verse 28, you're trying to make us guilty. You keep, you keep talking about this as if, it, as if you talk about it enough, then we'll be guilty. What, what they're ignoring is the fact that they are already guilty. They stand condemned because of their sin. And yet Peter announces good news. God raised Jesus whom you killed. And then the contrast again is made clear in verse 31. The religious leaders killed Jesus, but God, verse 31, exalted him to his own right hand as the shepherd, as the prince and the savior. He is the son of God, the prince of heaven, the savior of his people, the one who died in their place. And then notice what Peter does. He then offers this forgiveness back to the guilty one standing before him. He says, God exalted him, this is verse 31, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. These are the leaders of Israel. They are the full assembly of the elders of Israel. That's how they were introduced to us. And so the forgiveness is being offered back to the guilty. See, that's good news for you and for me. That even, even in our sin, even in the active rebellion against God, in killing the Son of God, forgiveness is offered to these men. Because Peter, he can't, he can't stop. And so what does he tell them to do? He says, he says, what do you need? Repentance and forgiveness. Repentance is turning from your way of sin and turning back to God. I mean, repentance is, is an admission. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. The way you're going leads to death. And so you throw yourself upon God and find in him mercy. You find in Jesus forgiveness because he bore your punishment. See, the religious leaders, they should have exalted Jesus. They were the ones who had been reading the scriptures, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They should have understood who he was, and yet what did they do? They killed him. And still, God offers them forgiveness. Here, through the words of the apostle Peter. And did you notice in Peter's mini-sermon, the emphasis was on what God has done for our salvation, not on what we do? I mean, the things that, that we do are repentance and admission there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, that I've been doing everything I have done is wrong, and so I turn back to God. We're asked to believe, to trust, to throw ourselves wholly upon God and his strength. See, sometimes we think that, that Christianity is the story of, well, yeah, an admission, I'm going the wrong way, and so I better work hard and clean myself up. I better make myself right. I better, I better do some penance. I better justify myself so that God will love me. But that's not the way the story is presented here. It's the story of what Jesus has already done. Jesus died for you as the Savior. He's been raised from the dead by God. He has been exalted to the right hand of the Father in heaven as the Prince of heaven, proven to be your Savior and rescuer. And what's asked of you? Trusting, believing, repenting. The very things that, that prove there's nothing we can do to clean ourselves 
up. Do you hear this good news? See, the forgiveness that's offered to the religious leaders is offered today to you. Come this morning to Jesus. Put your trust in him. Now, this passage shows us the pattern of God's provision and then the apostles' response. And so let's, let's look again at how God provides for them. That God protects them even when they're outside the room. They're, they're sent out of the room. The, the religious leaders are, verse 33, furious at this response. Peter, the only response that would have been acceptable is Peter to say, we were wrong. We're not going to do it anymore. You're right. We, we, we will obey you. But that's, Peter said, no, no, we must obey God. We will keep preaching this message. Actually, you can't even stop me right now. I'm going to launch right into the gospel, even while I'm on trial. And so they're furious. They want to put them to death. But, but look at God's protection. Even as they're sent out of the room, there's a man who stands and speaks in their defense. Look at verse 34. A Pharisee named Gamaliel. He is a teacher of the law, honored by all the people. He stood up, sent the men outside, and then he spoke. Now, Gamaliel is the only rabbi named in the book of Acts. He's named again later in the book when, when he's described to us as the teacher of the apostle Paul. Before Paul was Paul, when he was Saul, he, he learned at the foot of this great rabbi. He, as one historian says, the greatest teacher of his day. Highly revered and respected. And he stands and speaks. And what's his argument? He says, look, look at history with me. I mean, you remember the story of Thutis who, who rose up in rebellion, but as soon as he was dead, his, his followers scattered. Or, or, or think of, of Judas, the, the story of, of, of Judas. When, when he, his, his followers were dispersed after he was killed, it came to nothing. And so he makes the argument, if these men are just working on their own strength, then just let it go. It's going to come to nothing. But, but if they are from God, look at verse 39. If it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech is persuasive. He convinces them to let these men go. And yet, despite the fact that Gamaliel is a respected teacher, he doesn't actually press his argument to its real conclusion, does he? Because if, if you were sitting in his classroom and you brought forth an argument, he would, he would press you as a student to say, Okay, well, let's, let's wrestle with the truth of what's claimed there. Your argument is persuasive. If it's from men, then it will come to nothing. But if it's from God, then you can't stop it. What should he, as a religious leader, do next? Find out if this is a message from God. But he doesn't. See, God uses a man who is an unbeliever, a man who won't even wrestle with the truth, to rescue his apostles. It's God's protection here. And yet Gamaliel, if he's even being honest with himself, should, should go further. Because sadly, it seems he's answered the question, hasn't he? He's saying, this is exactly like the other examples I gave you. This is just from men. See, but I think some of us are content to sit here without actually pushing the argument all the way to its conclusion. We're content to let skepticism, this idea of, well, you know, I just can't be sure. So, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to make any decisions. You believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe. But, but see, that's not even really an honest position to stay in. 
Gamaliel says, if it's from men, it will come to nothing. But if it is from God, you can't fight against God. And so what he should do is say, let me find the truth. Let me listen to the witnesses of these apostles. They have even said the Holy Spirit himself is a witness to the truth of this message. So Gamaliel persuades them. They're set free, but, but not before being punished. Look again at verse 40. Gamaliel's speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now it may seem strange that I have labeled this point in the sermon God's protection, that God protected them through the words of, of Gamaliel, an unbeliever, when the scriptures tell us that they were flogged. Not merely given the repetition that we saw back in chapter 4 that, that you, you leave, but you cannot speak in the name of Jesus. This time, the warning comes with a, with a little brutal punishment. The taking of a whip across the flesh of their bodies, ripping their bodies to pieces. A punishment that's so bad it, it was condemned in the Old Testament, and so, that, so it's probably the 40 lashes minus one because you don't want to go to that extreme. Let's push them right to the very edge. And yet God is protecting them. And, and then notice the, res, the, the response of the apostles to this suffering, to the very threat of their lives, to the brutal punishment of pain. How do they respond? With joy. With excitement. Not, a, not just a, a happy face sort of slapped on as they, as they walk out. Not merely resting in their own pride there. They're, they're rejoicing because of the suffering. Look back at verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. The apostles, in being set free, responded by obeying the commands of God and going and continuing to preach. The apostles now, set free, this time beaten and bloodied, go rejoicing in joy, thankful for the work of God, that they have been counted worthy of suffering for the sake of the name, the name of Jesus. You and I know which name to put there. It's the, it's the circumlocution, the way of getting around saying God's name for fear of, of even wandering close to blasphemy. But you and I know that the very name that they will preach is the name of Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. They are rejoicing in suffering. See, in every, one, every, every worldview, every one of us has to actually wrestle with this question. How will you respond in the midst of suffering? See, some worldviews just try and explain, well, it's, it's just part of the fabric of the universe that we live in. It just, it just is. So this pain that you feel, you just, have to, you just have to deal with it. You just have to live with it. Some worldviews will actually try and brush it away as if it, it, it's just an illusion. You just need to get beyond it. See, but Christianity is, is a worldview that is willing to be honest about suffering but then gives us the resources to respond. The apostles are beaten and flogged because they've been preaching the gospel, and yet they do so with joy. They go forth rejoicing. See, and this, this shows us that for Christianity, there is meaning in suffering. Not merely here, because of the suffering of the apostles, but even more deeply, at the core of the Christian message is the suffering of Jesus, the Messiah. And so you and I, we might not get as clear of an answer to why we suffer. I mean, right here, it's, it's black and white. It's, it's clear. It's in writing. Why are they suffering? Because they are kind of worthy of proclaiming the name of Jesus. They're set free to, to preach the gospel. They can keep announcing the good news of what Jesus has done for them. 
Now, you and I might not get as clear of an answer right in this life, but, but one thing we know for sure is that suffering is not meaningless. Because when we look at the suffering of Jesus, we find in it the most significant meaning, the forgiveness that's offered to us, the new life that is given to us through his death. So we know for sure that our suffering can be redeemed by God because he was willing to give his own son for us. And so this time, the apostles, they, they, again, can't be silenced. They've been warned. They've been threatened. They've been flogged. And what do they do? They go forth rejoicing. And verse 42 tells us that they, they can't be stopped. Verse 42, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They're so compelled by the, the experience they have the truth that they have, that Jesus died for them, that they can't be stopped. And they don't even stop going to the very public place where they had just been arrested. They go back to the temple courts, but they say, but we won't even stop here. Because there might be some who would hesitate to come hear us for fear that they might get wrapped up in the next raid that comes along. And so we're going to go from house to house. We're going to preach it publicly. We're going to preach it privately. You can't stop us. Day after day, this gospel message goes forth because they, they, they've experienced the joy that comes even through the suffering of the gospel. And yet, that's not how I tend to respond to suffering. I tend to think of myself. I tend to want to make sure you know I've suffered. I tend to want to grumble and complain, but what do they do? They don't point to their suffering. They, they rejoice that they've been counted worthy of suffering because their suffering points to the suffering of Jesus. Their suffering is just a, a, a means, a way in which they can announce good news. They've taken the gospel message and let it become central to their lives. Does the gospel capture your heart like this? See, the, the apostles cannot be silenced. They have joy in suffering, joy in their mission. And unjust imprisonment can't stop the gospel. Galina Vilchinskaya was a 23-year-old Sunday school teacher arrested for teaching good news to the children of her church. She was imprisoned for five years for teaching this gospel message. Her story is shared with us. Prison, hunger, and beatings could not silence her. She led many in her prison to the Lord, so she was transferred to another prison. And after that, to yet another prison. See, for Galena, every new prison was a new gospel opportunity. Finally, she was being sent by prison train to the utter east of Siberia. She was sent with what was described as the worst of the worst. Amidst the chaos and violence of this prison train, Galena broke into song. And what is described as her clear, sweet voice, Galena gave praise to her Savior. Her suffering an opportunity to share the gospel. Her imprisonment an opportunity to give praise to God. The scene is described for us that as she sang, a hush fell over the train car. Even the most hardened criminals turned their faces away to hide their tears. Mile after mile, hymn after hymn, Galena sang the gospel. Does suffering silence you? Or does it elevate your voice? The apostles considered it an honor to suffer. And so they did so with joy. They counted it a privilege to share the gospel message. 
May we never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is our Savior. Let me pray that God would apply his word to our lives. Father, we are confronted by our own sin when we hear your word. And so I pray that you would give us the faith to believe, the honesty to confess our sins, to admit our helplessness. Lord, for those who listen today and struggle with this message, Lord, I pray that you would, you would not let them be settled until they find the truth in your gospel. Lord, that they would, be, that they, they would lack confidence and, and peace until they turn and confess their sins. Father, I ask that you would make us a church that is bold in announcing this good news, willing to share the gospel. And so, Lord, send us in the power of your spirit. We come praying in the name of Jesus. Jesus, our Prince. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our Messiah. Amen.